saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds, according to their kinds, and of the animals, according to their kinds. Of every creeping thing on the ground, according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this as he did all that God commanded him. May you add your blessing to that reading this morning, and may we do all that you command us to do. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Well, if you don't have your Bible already open to Genesis chapter 6, please open to Genesis 6 as we continue our sermon series through the book of Genesis together. And as we head there this morning, we're going to start with a, some, a little something that we have repeated week in and week out. And I'm going to ask you a couple of different questions. The first is this. Can somebody share the story of the Bible in four words with me? Anybody? Yes, Ryan. Amen. Amen. Good job, brother. Good job. Good job. Yes, so creation. God created the world. He created everything that is within it. All humans have rebelled against God, and this rebellion has led to a separation that is eternal from God because of sin. But we need somebody to save us, and that comes through our redemption, through the person of Jesus, who is going to come again and restore creation to its intended order. This is the story of the Bible in four words. Can somebody share the story of the gospel with me in four words? Yes. God, man, Christ, response. Beautiful. That's it. So who is God? What is he like? What has he done? Man, who are we? What are we like? What have we done? Jesus, who is Jesus and what has he done about man's condition? And then response, how do we respond to the gospel? And so anybody want to just say, how do we respond to the gospel? Two words. Anybody, anybody? Repentance and faith, amen, good job, thank you. Yes, so we respond to the gospel through repentance, turning from our sin, and trusting in Jesus in faith through his work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection to bring us into the right relationship with God. Good job, friends, good job. Continue to remember that, continue to practice that in your time so that we can hold an account of the hope that we have within us. The story of the gospel in four words, God, man, Christ, and response. 
Uh, Through our week in Genesis, we have seen a creative God. We've seen a faithful God, and we have seen a a saving God. He is the creative God who made the heavens and the earth by speaking them into being. He is a creative God who has made the plants and the moons, the stars, the animal, the fish, and human beings. He has formed the earth and filled the earth. He has made man in his image and in his likeness. He's made them male and female with complementary roles. And he's asked them, he's given them this mission to reign as his ambassadors on earth. He's a faithful God who delivers us and delivers us into good for his glory. He's faithful to give us purpose in life. He is a faithful God to his creation, even in our unfaithfulness and our rebellion. He's faithful to provide, to save, and to redeem. He's a saving God with a promise to deliver to his people. And through our time in Genesis, we've also learned that people have inherited a sin nature from our first parents, Adam and Eve. And by the sin, as we've been separated from God, we have had been made to endure a tension that exists in our relationships. Men and women battle against each other. There's a battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, the one who will come and crush the head of the serpent, the skull crusher. There is toil in the land, and ultimately sin has brought us into death, an eternal separation from God if we do not know him. Though God has promised to make a people for himself through all of this, and he's continued to do so through what we found in Genesis 5 last week through the line of Seth, who is from Adam. But we learn that the world is wicked beyond belief in Genesis 6. So the question that we have today that we have to answer is just how bad is the world? And what is God going to do to this corruption? And God would have to go to extreme lengths to make sure that he continues his promise and his faithfulness from Genesis chapter 3. So look with me again at the first couple of verses here. We're introduced to a new character. It's kind of new to the scene. In verse 9, the text tells us, it says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. As we come to the text this morning, we are continuing from this line of what we've seen happen throughout the story of Genesis. We've seen the creation. We've seen fall. We've seen that God is going to promise that there would be someone who would bring this sort of redemption. But we find out in in Genesis 4 that sin has come to this really ugly point in such a way that Cain has murdered his brother Abel. As he's taken the life of someone who has been created in the image of God, that now sin has reached another level outside of the garden where it is so corrupt that it's affecting all of human history. And then in Genesis chapter 5, we hear that God made a promise through Adam, where he would create man in his image, in his likeness, and to reign with him in community forever. So we need to understand first that that humans, we have been made to enjoy God and to walk with him. We find this in the Westminster Confession of Faith, right? The, The opening statement is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We have been made in such a way that we are built for community and built to enjoy God's presence forever. But sin has brought an ugliness to the situation. We cannot enjoy God because we cannot be in his presence because of our wrongdoing. But we find here that as God has promised through Adam 
In Genesis 5.32, we see that he promises to continue his faithfulness through somebody named Noah. We find out in Genesis 5.32 that Noah was 500 years old. He was old, right? Really old, right? (laughs) After Genesis 5 and Genesis 6, God limits human life to 120 years because he's like, that's it. (laughs) We don't need 500-year-old people anymore, (laughs) Uh, I was joking last week, uh, we had something come into the barn where it was a wooden ark and we had all these like little wooden figures and I picked up Noah and he was this really creepy old guy with like no head and just a giant beard, right? So he's probably looking pretty decent for 500 years old. Uh, Nonetheless, as as we come to this, we hear in, in Genesis 5, through 10 different generations of Adam's line, we see the firstborn son, their occupation, and the fact that they died. But here in Genesis 5.32, we just find out about Noah, how old he was, and about his sons. And then God brings us into the narrative where we start to see that the earth is increasing in its corruption. And so we we had a big conversation about Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4, the Nephilim, what is all this about? We can go into great detail. We don't have time for that this morning. But nonetheless, we come again to this picture where we're introduced to Noah, and he's described in three different ways. He's a righteous man. That means that he is of right standing, that he walks in purpose and uh, he glorifies God. It tells us, secondly, that he was blameless in his generation. Well, we need to be reminded of the first eight verses of Genesis. In, in Genesis 5, it says, or Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of their thoughts was evil and only evil continually. And yet Noah is placed as a righteous man who's blameless in his generation, as someone who is a light to a broken and corrupt world. We can think today, and it's a very big reality, Steve prayed about it this morning, that we are in a broken world, full of corruption and full of evil. All you have to do is turn on CNN or Fox News and listen for 30 seconds to hear about corruption, to hear about the brokenness of the world. But the world is so broken here in Genesis 6 that, that every intention of their thoughts was evil continually. But God has placed a righteous man, a blameless man, in a generation. But Noah's most important figure And characteristic here is that he walked with God. He walked with God. And then we find out a little bit more about what's going on in the world at this time. Verses 11 through 13. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. This is not news to us from Genesis 6, 1 through 8. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. So in the opening verses of Genesis 6, we see that every man has evil intention. And now here in Genesis 6, 12, we find out that not only men are evil in their intentions, but that all flesh has been corrupted by sin. It's been corrupted in the entirety of the earth. And Noah has been brought onto the scene as a background figure, then hears from the Lord. And the Lord says this in verse 13. I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. 
Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So let's think uh, uh, for a moment here on what God is actually saying. What his words are saying right here. We found out that Noah has come as a righteous, blameless man who walks with him. Right? Let's think back to Genesis 1. Before sin entered the world, who was blameless, who was righteous, and who walked with God? Adam. So Adam has been brought into the world through creation, through God's uh, providential plan before the foundations of the world. God knew that he would bring Adam into existence to walk with him, to be righteous, to be blameless. Sin corrupts him. And then we get to this point in Genesis 6 where now sin is so corrupt that God has to send another Adam figure through Noah to come and to bring some sort of redemption. But the world has gotten to a point in in which it's so corrupt that God has to declare that he will decreate what he has made. All flesh, all humanity is so broken by sin that God has to intervene in such a way that he has to destroy what he has made. So a, a lot of people would ask the question then, well, what does this say about God? Did he make something broken? Uh, there is a theory that we talked about in our doctrine of creation where somebody basically just winds up the clock, God winds up the clock, and he walks away. Uh, this is not what the text is pointing us to. The text is actually pointing us to the action and responsibility of mankind. Here we see every time that f- humans have been given the freedom to act of their own accordance, it has led them to evil. Adam and Eve, freedom. And they were deceived. And then they walked into rebellion. And they were separated from God. Cain and Abel, freely able to worship God. Freely able to enjoy Him. Freely able to walk with one another. But Cain had jealousy over Abel. And so he killed him. And this led to more corruption. And then Genesis 6, all of mankind, in their freedom, in their walking, are only leading to destruction. So this is not God's responsibility. This is humanity's responsibility. Humans, when we're left in our own image, in our own likeness, in our own fun, our own preferences, more often than not like to run to evil. Right? For instance, you can put a cookie jar out in front of me, I'm going to eat one of those cookies if you tell me not to. Amen? <laughs> I know all of you guys that like cookies too. We see cookies and we want to run. You tell a child, don't do that, what do they do? They do it. Right? Don't cross this line, what do they do? They cross the line every time, <laughs> or at least nine times out of ten. We'll give them a little bit of grace. <laughs> we are, because of Adam and Eve's sin, we are, in our nature, rebellious toward anything that God would establish for us. We just want to run. When God tells us, hey, this is for our good, we run. When we say that we can be in community with God, more often than not, that means, oh, we have to do something hard, so therefore I'm going to run. Our nature, because of sin and because of its entrance into the world, is to run from the things of God. But God has to intervene. Because if we're left to our own devices, we actually cannot work our way up into earning righteousness before God. Sin has corrupted us so that we cannot bring an offering that is pleasing to God. But God has brought a solution to our problem. 
But here in Genesis 6, God's solution to the earth's corruption was to intervene in such a way that he would take one righteous man who was blameless and walked with him to preserve him, his family, and a minimal amount of animals, two of every kind, so that he could destroy the world and recreate it again. That's some pretty serious action, friends. And Noah is sitting and he's listening. We don't hear how he feels. We don't know what he's going to say in response to God here in Genesis 6, but we do hear that God continues to give him instruction. I don't know if, about you, but if I was given this destruction plan and I was sitting at the table, I'd be a little bit worried and thinking, what's going to happen here? How is this going to work out? If he's going to destroy all the earth, that includes me. What do I do for my family? But God makes a way of provision. Verse 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark uh, in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. So God tells him to go and build an ark. A 500-year-old man with his three sons, and he's given this declaration that the world is going to be destroyed because of humanity's rebellion. And God's response to Noah is, hey, Noah, go and build an ark. Use some gopher wood. This is actually probably not uh, what we would think of like gophers. This is actually probably cypress or pine wood that's been used to build uh, this, this boat. And when we find out about this boat, it's not your typical speedboat. You are not cruising around in this thing. It's 300 cubits by 50 cubits by 30 cubits, which is basically a giant rectangle, a floating rectangle, a barge. All it can do is float. So even as we hear this declaration that God is going to destroy creation and his provision for Noah and his family comes through this giant boat filled with animals and everything that is living, he tells him, hey, by the way, this thing is basically just going to float around while I take care of everything else. Can you imagine the faith that Noah would have to have to actually carry out this task? This is one of those plans where you, you hear, hey, we need to have this solution to this problem. And you sit at the table and say, well, that could work, but it's a long shot. And God says, I've got this. I've got this, Noah. I know that you're pretty afraid right now. I know that this is going to be quite the uh, powerful and vengeful and and wrathful act that I'm going to do because of sin, but don't worry, I will hold you in my hand. And friends, maybe we need to hear that this morning as believers, that when life is chaotic and when we don't know what's going to happen, and our only plan looks like we have to rely on something that we know is basically just going to float by, we need to hear that God has us in his hand. This is the same God who spoke creation into existence in Genesis 1. It's the same God who has intervened, yet because of rebellion, he's intervened through his people to stay faithful to his promise. God has not let his people down through his word. He's been faithful to them time and time again. 
He's made promises and he's fulfilled his promise. He has said, here are the consequences of not walking with me, and he has stayed true to his word. Again and again we see through Genesis and the entirety of the Bible that God will actually do what he says. We may not, but God will. So we need to know this morning that, church, God holds us in his hands. That the creator of the world who speaks things into existence, who can bring a giant flood to cover what the scholars say could be universal, the entire world could be flooded and God could hold us in his hand and still provide for us. So we shouldn't run from him, we should run to him. Run to him, hold on to his word. His word is faithful and true. He is omnipotent, he is powerful enough to do anything that it takes to save and redeem his people. But hear this, friend, it's not your action, it's his action. God is faithful to save. As God continues to give Noah these instructions, we find out in verse 20, he says, the birds, he says, actually verse 19, and of every living thing of flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. We should be hearing the echoes of Genesis 1 through this passage. As we see, here's a man who was created, Adam, Genesis 1, in God's image, in his likeness. God created mankind male and female. He created them to walk with him and to have dominion. He created the animals, the plants, the fish, every creeping thing. God has created them, male and female. And then we hear again, Genesis 6, here's destruction coming, but bring into this ark two of every living thing, male and female. This is God, although he's destroying what is evil and corrupt, he is planning to redeem and renew through his creation. This is of the birds. You all know how I feel about birds. Uh, Their kinds, the animals according to their kinds, every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind, two of every sort. This is not, you don't leave anything out here. He says everything, two of everything, will come into the ark. This is amazing because God doesn't tell Noah, hey, go and get all of these animals. He tells him, I will bring these animals to you. You build the ark. You wait on my word. You wait on my promises and see that I will bring what is good to you. Then he tells him, take every sort of food that is eaten and store it up and it shall serve as food for you and for them. If the whole world was to be flooded, you'd need a lot of food. That's a, that's a lot to eat. Who knows how long that could take for all the water to digress and for the earth to become dry again. You would need a ton of supplies. This is the ultimate camping adventure. Maybe glamping because he's got a giant bow. <laughs> as he waits and he sees, he knows again and again that as corruption comes, God will provide. He'll provide a solution to the corruption of the earth. As our needs are increasing, God continues to provide through his provision. 
I think one of the most important parts about all of what we see here really actually comes in verses, in verse 18. Actually, verse 17 and 18. As Noah's hearing these things, as God is declaring this destruction, the, the word of God tells us, Behold, I will bring all the, a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Verse 18, but, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. As God tells him of this destruction and gives him the instructions to build this ark, he gives him one promise. I will make a covenant with you. I will vow to stay with you. We could have plenty of conversation and debate on whether it was a local flood or universal flood, but the important thing to note here is that God is wiping out all that is evil. And as God wipes out all that is evil, he makes one promise to Noah. I will make my word to you and I will stand by it. At other times that we see covenants established throughout the Bible, we actually see God say, I will do this if you walk in obedience. But hear what God says here in Genesis 6. He doesn't say, I will do and you will do. He says, I will take care of you. I will establish my covenant. I will carry it out. I will be faithful to my promises. This is another declaration from God. As God declares that there's going to be destruction, he declares promise for Noah and for humanity through him. But this salvation does not come because of human action. It comes because of God's providential, sovereign reign over all of creation. He comes and he says, I will establish my covenant. I will be with you and your wife and your sons and their wives. I will walk this out. And so as Noah hears this instruction, as he hears about destruction, as he's ready to just freak out in terror, he hears a word of promise from God. That God will be faithful. And that's how we can get to verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And what we can learn about walking with God is that we need to actually be faithful to trust God's promise. As we see Noah, a man who is, in, who is righteous, a man who is blameless in his generation, a man who walked with God, how did he walk with him? He trusted God at his word. So in those moments of anxiety in your life, whether you're facing work tension right now or family tension or financial tension, hear this, if you walk with God, if you're faithful to him and by his word you believe his word and his promise, he will provide. Now, also hear this disclaimer. That doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. Let's hear from the words of Jesus in John 16. Flip your Bible to John 16. As God has, through Noah, given a promise to all of humanity, Noah's been put in a special position where he has become a confidant of God. God has told him 
Here's my plan. Here's how I'm going to resolve sin. Here's how I am going to enter the destruction that exists and bring some sort of glimmer of hope. This is, I'm going to do it through the flood. But don't worry, I'm going to provide through a covenant. I'm going to provide for you. And as you turn your Bibles to John 16, I want to remind you what Jesus said to his disciples, his confidants, his family in the faith. In John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Jesus tells the disciples here in John 14 that he is the revelation of God's power. He is God's salvation for humanity. That no one comes into saving relationship with him except through Jesus. And then in John 15, Jesus continues by using this illustration of a vine and a branch. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Here's the first indication. As we rest in Jesus, we're told that he's the vine. We're to abide in him. We're to rest in him for our nourishment, for our growth. He tells us as we grow as trees, we will be pruned. That means that the bad fruit will be cut off. That he will shape us and mold us. That we will have to rely on him. He then calls his disciples his friends in verse 14. You're my friends if you do what I command you. There's a a calling of obedience for these disciples. But all of the the growth and the nourishment rests in God. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And then he tells them that the world will hate them. In John 16, that there's an hour coming where whoever kills you thinks that he's offering something to God. He's telling them that there's going to be a coming spirit, a Holy Spirit, who will come as the helper to be with them, to convict them of sin, to show them what it means to walk in obedience with God, that they will have sorrow and that the world will push against them. But then we find later in John 16, verses 32 and 33, Jesus says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. But take heart. He says, actually, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus is building up his disciples, showing him God's plan of, of salvation, how Jesus is going to be the way, that they need to rest in him and abide in him, that they need to recognize God's work in all of this, that he has saved the people for himself, that he will build them, that he will convict them of sin, that they will face sorrow from the world, that they will face persecution, and then they hear from Jesus, do not worry, for I have overcome the world. And we look back to Noah. And we look back to that word of promise. Where Noah, I'm going to destroy the world because of sin. You're going to face hard times. Things are not going to be easy. But I will establish my covenant with you. And 
we hear from Jesus that He will establish our salvation through His work on the cross. Even in Genesis 5 and 6, as God had, in His work, established a people for Himself, this work would save humanity through a destruction, a purging of evil. And Noah would come to reestablish creation, but creation would fall again. And humans would run from God. They would run in rebellion, and sin and evil would come to the world again. But God had a plan to establish a work for his people that would go beyond anything we could do by sending his very own son in the flesh to live among us, to die on the cross in our place because of our wrongdoing. That separation that exists between us and God, Jesus comes and dies for on the cross so that we may have life through him. He's buried. Three days later, God raises him from the dead, showing that he is, in fact, Lord over all of creation. And we hear this amazing work, and we're called to respond through repentance and faith, turning from our wrongdoing, walking in obedience with God, in faith, trusting him at his word and in his work that he will actually save. Friends, I stand here today because in Genesis 6, God was faithful to his word. And through Jesus, God was faithful to his word. And today, God is still faithful to his word. We have a good promise keeper and a great savior. But when we hear his word, the question is, will we trust him? Will we trust him to provide, even in the craziness of life circumstances? Even when the numbers don't add up and we're stuck floating on a barge, Will we trust him to actually be faithful to his word? Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that through Jesus, we can see that there is a true and better Adam. He has come to save hell-bound men. And so, Lord, we, we come to you this morning knowing that our world is evil, knowing that there's corruption, and God, that you have intervened. We, we praise you that it did not take a flood this time. But God, it took your son. Your son has come to redeem the corruption that exists in this world. And we pray that you would give us grace and mercy. God, that you would soften our hearts, that we would respond to him. God, maybe for the first time, we, we now want to respond to the good news of the gospel. But God, again, for those of us that believe, we pray again and again that you would help us to proclaim the gospel to ourselves. God, we need you. We need you to save us, and we need your word of promise. God, we need your faithfulness. Lord Jesus, we trust you to save us. We trust you, God, at your word. May we glorify you. May we make much of your kingdom. 
would you continue to use this church for your glory and for the expansion of disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you as we stand and sing in response. We're going to sing that song, The Lion and the Lamb, again. So.